We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Marlon LeBlanc, head coach of MLS Club Philadelphia Union 2. Also worked at the college level 14 seasons. Highly successful ones too at West Virginia before moving on to the professional and senior side. We talk about that change and those differences both on and off the pitch phenomenal insight about the journey and the experiences coaches you will love this one let us know write a review share it with your coaching friends on your social media networks tag us as well at gary kernin on twitter modern soccer coach on twitter and instagram as well two quick announcements before we start youtube if you haven't subscribed to the page we're posting a lot of coaching content two three four pieces a week on YouTube, looking to grow that, looking to put more pieces out there, more video content. So please go ahead over there, give us a subscribe, Gary Kernin on YouTube. And then also Modern Soccer Coach new book, Detail is out now, in-depth look at all the aspects that we talk about on these episodes, development, psychology, leadership, tactics, training, data, how do they all work together in a real, real coaching world, and how do we help connect the dots with ourselves and our staff? Includes a lot of takeaways from all these podcasts and webinars over the last two years, almost two million listens to the podcast. Unbelievable. Really, really appreciate it. The book is available worldwide. You can get it on Amazon, you can get it on modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Thank you for all your support. Please go ahead and check it out. Here is Marlon and Joy. Marlon, thank you so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Really, really excited to have you on. Thanks, Gary. I'm looking forward to it as well. It's a topic that I'm sure is going to get a lot of interest. It's one of these topics. First question straight off the bat really would be like the differences and you have an extensive college experience. Like what's the biggest differences between the college level and uh, the USL pro MLS level? Yeah, I think on the surface, um, and, you know, and trying not to sound um, biased one way or the other, because I did spend, you know, the majority of my time coaching in the collegiate game. And it's funny, I've ended up at a place where, you know, two guys who came through the collegiate system um, played for a long, long time. Ray Gaddis, who played for me at, at WU, is now the captain of FC Cincinnati, um, but the longest standing player in terms of minutes played, games played in union history, right? And may end up in the ring of honor. And Jack Elliott, who was uh, just signed a new multi-year deal with the union um, and is one of the best center backs in all of MLS and came through four years in the college system. Um, all that said, uh, incredibly different, <laughs> incredibly different um, from the developmental side of things to the training, um, you know, the collegiate game, I think, uh, 
for, for most coaches who enjoy the development side of things can become very frustrated with uh, this time of year in particular in the collegiate game and, and basically two hours a week on the ball um, when football is about having a ball at your feet, you know? Um, but um, yeah, it's uh, we're, we're talking about um, throwing 15, 16 year old to the wolves in, in a pro environment. Whereas in the collegiate game, you're talking about 21, 22, 23 year olds going into the, in the pro environment. And so um, all things uh, equal, you know, uh, if we're, we've got a 15 year old and we're graduating a 22 year old and there's a seven year old, seven year difference there in the development pathway. Um, and if they're pretty similar, um, you can see what, where a club like the union who hasn't used the draft pick in years um, to, to, to go after a collegiate player um, where we make our choices. And so um, it's a, I don't want to call it a risky way to kind of do business, but it, it is a, a true sense of development from within. Um, and the prospects that we have are younger in age. And in particular, we're able to work with them, um, you know, a little bit more frequently. And so I think the guys like a Jack Elliott or a Ray Gaddis are a little bit more outliers now in regards to, um, you know, where they are as, as far as MLS is concerned and, um, and, and essentially developing our own players to, to go to Europe, a la Brendan Aronson or a Mark McKenzie. Um, you know, it, it's easier and, and certainly more fruitful for us to do that in-house than it, than it would be by recruiting through the collegiate system. When you were like West Virginia, 19 years, did, did you see or did you find a change during that time where player development was now, there was no more opportunities at USL or MLS or did that shift during any stage of your time there? Did you find? Um, I wouldn't say that necessarily shifted at any one stage. Um, I, I think as academies have come along within the professional structure here um, and more and more ownership groups have provided more resources for, for uh, pro pro teams to develop their own players seen a little bit less of um, an impact of the collegiate player on the professional game within MLS for sure. Um, I think I would say in, in my time at WVU, it, you know, it was finding that fine balance between wanting to produce players for the pros versus wanting to win. Um, and that's a hard balance to strike in, in the collegiate system when you basically get three, three and a half months of a year to go and win games. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think that as the league has grown and and the investment has become more about the academies and essentially leagues or, or teams within the MLS structure now selling more and more players to Europe. And you see the union doing it, FC Dallas. You're seeing all these kids coming from the from the academy structure and going overseas. I think there's a return on investment that ownership has noticed. And I think that kind of, you know, saw a little bit of the down the downgrade of maybe recruiting through the collegiate system to fill out rosters versus uh, uh, in-house through the academies. A phrase that, that I've, you often hear when young players are coming through is you know, this process of learning to become a pro. Uh, and I don't always smile because I always think, like, what, what are people's definitions of that there? How, how would you define it? Wow, it's a loaded question, right? I think um, there's a lot of ways you can talk about it, um, whether it's, you know, teaching young players to it's a it's their job every day. And a lot of players, I think, burn out because they start to feel like a job. Um, but being a pro, it is your job. Um, and so it it is so much about just the 
you know, the balance of the off the field and, and coming in and coming in early to activate and, and, and doing extra work, working in the IDP sessions. Um, you know, there are certain things that are, that are, I like to tell players it's easy to get there. It's harder to stay there. Um, and so all of those little fine details in, in, in terms of teaching them, uh, we're able to probably influence them a little bit more here from, from a younger age versus in the collegial environment. Um, that said, there's the on the field stuff too, right? Like it's the, the, the time wasting it's the, um, it's the being on the road and knowing to sit back and, and sit in a low block and, and, and grind out a, a draw or grind out a one, no result. Um, it's, it's about managing the fans and, and, and not being too emotionally high and too emotionally low. And so there's, there's so many things that, that we teach them that we have to teach them or they have to learn how to be a pro that, that maybe aren't necessarily in a, in a coaching manual. Um, you know, the easy stuff is, is, is teaching them about, you know, what they have to do off the field. I think the harder part is actually being in the environment of, of grinding out a one, no road and one, no uh, road result and, and having to do it in the moment and on the pitch. Yeah. The, the hostility of the fans, like, do you find there's a different, there can be a different, like colleges in, in the States is like, it's crazy. It's, but there's, it's a bit fun, isn't it? But like at the, at the pro level, there's there's fan bases for these clubs that I'm I'm sure create a different experience for a young kid. Yeah, I think it's uh it's a little bit different. So we're in in Clearwater um on on the third third of February and we're playing a UPSL team and they bring out a thousand fans and have flares going off and drums and whatnot in the stands for a preseason friendly with Union Two, you know. Um, kind of throwing a, a 15 year old into a match like that where there's an environment and and that type of pressure is um the earlier you do it is teaching them how to be a pro pretty early um having the sporting director and the first team coach and you know the first team scout and all those guys watching over your every move is is teaching them how to be a pro um and so that pressure um is probably unlike anything that they see in the in the collegial game um you know, it, obviously you can go to some some fantastic environments in college soccer where um, I think a lot of pro teams would, would love to have um, in their settings. Um, but I think it's a little bit different when 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 you're doing it and uh, and you've got all these eyes on you and, and, and you're playing for you know your position, you're playing for your next contract, you're playing uh, for, with, with all this pressure on you. Um, you. It's hard to replicate that game in and game out at the collegial environment compared to the pro level. Another big difference that when I was putting these questions together, I was kind of going through it like what, because obviously I've, I've lived in the college world myself and post game has always fascinated me because I found that you've worked in bigger schools than I have. We were going to smaller airports and probably more plane stops, but like this process of Sunday night, I always felt that we were trying to get back for class on Monday, yeah. zero, zero post game review. And the Friday was like, all right, get to Saturday's hotel so we can. Uh, how have you experienced the, those processes now getting extended? And and how have you worked through that? Honestly, it's the part I love the most, uh, the teaching, the the actual time to do what we need to do. Um, and and yeah, I think in, in the collegiate game, you played, you recovered, you played, you recovered, you played, you recovered, and you never practiced, right? It was so hard to find time to actually practice or get a week, week of practice. And um, I think our post game, one of the great, one of the things I love about what we have here is despite our, um, our project being so young, we do operate in, in our own school. 
Um, and so we have the ability and the flexibility within our school system to, to do these things and not sacrifice the educational side for our young high school age guys. Um, and that's, that's been a godsend in, in terms of our, our, our ability to work, but yeah, we're, we're doing, we're doing more IDP. We're doing more, um, post-match, like they always say the game's the greatest teacher, right? And you see something in the game, but you don't have time to teach it. Well, now we have time to teach it, whether it's on an individual, a small group and you're, and you're back four with your goalkeeper or, um, you know, we're staying late after training to, to work with a handful of players. We have that flexibility now. And that wasn't a flexibility that we had in the collegiate game. You know, the guys got to go to a study group. They got to go to a test. They got to go make up classwork. Um, being in the pro environment allows you, especially with what we do, to, to continue the development cycle. Um, even with all our young pros that go into our first team, they're always out late. They're always coming back for a second unit. And just having that time to be able to, to, to address things in the way you need to address it is, is the most fun part for me for being in this environment now. Isn't it crazy though, when, and not to go and do a comparison, but the, like the, the numbers, whether it's 40 hours or whatever hours a week, isn't that a crazy thing to work? Cause that can actually stop informal conversations of walking off the training pitch. If you're still in the setting, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I think it's a uh, useful, I don't even know what it is anymore, but it used to be 20 hours a week that you could have dedicated to, you know, your, your football. Um, and then you have to watch that and the games themselves, some, if you play three games in a week, that's half your time gone right there. Um, and then in the off season, which is a, the, the best time to do work. And it's about nine months, eight and a half months of time, you know, for a couple of those months, you're limited to how much time you actually have with the ball. Like, you know, like we said, so, um, yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's it's really inhibiting. It's amazing that college soccer can continue to produce players um, that can come through that system and, and do so well uh, in a professional environment. Um, but it's a the 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 inhibitors that go along with it make it difficult for you to actually teach and and get better and improve. And and the kids want to. Um, it's the archaic rules that don't allow them to. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned about the the youth of the squad, and and before we start recording, that was that was hilarious. You're you're coaching sometimes your younger groups than you were when in college. I mean, what aspect of a match when you when you rock into a, a hostile environment against a you know senior squad? Where do you think the the toughest? Like the physical, is it in the the press? Is it in the transition? Like getting up and down, or recovering, or like. Where do you think the physical piece is 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 at its most dangerous? Honestly, I think it's just the consistency. It's the consistency mm -hmm. of doing it every single match. And, and you go to Hartford and you go to Pittsburgh when you're in the USL and you've got to turn up against senior level players that are used to it with the young young guys. There's that, you know, that time for attrition to figure it out and to get to be, we're teaching them to be consistent. That's part of the pro side of things too. And, you know, that you alluded to and, 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 and what, how they have to learn how to be pros. It's, it's the consistency of showing up every day mentally and physically and not being worn out by, you know, uh, a, a match that went, that went long and you finished one, one, and then you got to turn around in five days and do it all over again. Um, and that's probably the biggest challenge, but what I've learned about young players that they adapt really, really quickly. Um, they get used to it. And I think the pressure side almost falls off their shoulders a little bit quicker. Um, the sooner you can get them into that environment. Um, and 
that the exterior, the external pressures of, of the fans and, and the referee and, the, and all those things kind of go away and it just becomes about the internal pressure of performing. Um, and that's probably the, the biggest challenge that they have. Um, but young players adapt. It's amazing. It's amazing how they're not phased. We played NYCFC away last year um, and a bear was starting at center forward. Um, they had the two Brazilians that they spent like 20 million on playing on the wings. And, you know, we've got these young kids who weren't phased at all by it. Um, and it was because they, they were used to it by, by, by the time we played NYCFC, I think it was in November of last year. So, um, uh, it, it's incredible how adaptable they are to those pressures, but I think the biggest pressure that they feel, you know, when they go on the road and they play in front of these crowds and, um, we'll be going through a new journey in MLS next pro, um, this year, um, will be, it's more so the internal pressure of, you know, wanting a contract, wanting to win and having to perform in order to see both of those kind of come through. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. So, cause it's almost like both of those are, are psychological, uh, and obviously like as a, as a coach, you can help support and help and challenge and all those great things. Is there anything around the club where you you know in terms of performance psychology or anything that you're that you're helping those young players as well? Yeah, we have a full time um, sports psychologist within our school system in, in particular, um, and so we have approximately sixty five seventy boys somewhere in that range that that go to our our YSC Academy, our school, where there is a like I said, there's a sports psychologist on hand. Um, essentially, at the at the pro level, anything that is available is made available to these, to these guys. Um, and so, um, the process is pretty, it's pretty well regimented in terms of resources and, and who to go to and where to go. Um, and, and I think it's ever evolving, right? There's, there's so many things that are still evolving across the board, but we do do a lot to try and educate the players, um, on, on that side of things. And, um, I don't think that, we would make this type of investment in, into our into our youth without having you know all those bases covered, and, and that's part of it. It's it's Richie Graham um, started this project with the Philadelphia Union. Uh, gosh, I don't know how many years it is now, maybe 10, 12 years, somewhere in that range with the academy. Um, and essentially, what we've done here has become the pillar for what everybody wants to replicate across the league um, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of player production. Um, in terms of the model. And so uh, the sports psychology and the nutrition, all those things are, are certainly covered at the highest level. Hello coaches, we'll take a quick break here. As you've probably noticed, this podcast and the last one we've done as well do not have a sponsor. That's okay. The majority of work we do at Modern Soccer Coach is absolutely free for coaches. We try to make it as accessible for all the content for coaches at different levels all around the world there's not many coach education platforms that i know of that do that they're absolutely free the majority of our content so if you enjoy it and you want to support it then there's a great opportunity to do so by ordering a copy of my new book modern soccer coach detail an in-depth look at all these aspects that we talk about every single week development psychology leadership tactics training social media data how do they all work together on a realistic day-to-day basis and what are some of the secrets that coaches out there at the highest levels are doing 
to connect the dots for their players and their staff. It also includes takeaways from many of the guests over the last three or four years of podcasts and webinars. We've had almost two million listens to the podcast, which is crazy. So really, really appreciate your support. You can get the book. It's available worldwide, Amazon and modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Thank you always for your support, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop detail you can get it now available worldwide thank you we're going to move it now towards your journey and one of the questions i want to ask you is because i am fascinated about the the length and the success you had in college and then moving across and and what changes and and all those things how much of when you talk about the young kids that are that are doing their education and the schooling how much of the college coaching you keeps charge of the grades and like looks at their gpa and is there still a part of that um, not as much as you would think. It's uh, one of the one of the things I've been happy to shed um, yeah. monitoring. But again, it's it's I've literally got a Google sheet that got passed to me this morning uh, on each of my players in terms of feedback from all of their their teachers and where they're at. I think understanding what they're doing in off the field, whether it be in the classroom or from a psychology standpoint, from a nutritional standpoint, is part of that that holistic approach that we have and it's important that i know as much as what's going on uh, on that side of things just as much as what's going on in the field so um do i know each individual detail in terms of how many study how study hours a kid missed compared to what i did when the collegial game no um but i do know what's going on i do know how they're doing academically um there is a distinct kind of a um it's not a pressure, but it's 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 something that Richie Graham from the top all the way through Ernst Tanner, our sporting director and our academy director, Tommy Wilson, they want these kids, if they're not going to have pro contracts, to be in the best college environments that they can possibly be in, in order to keep their development moving forward, because we're not necessarily done with them if they don't get a contract that's 16, 17 years old before they go to college. Um, but it's 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 the next best step is to get them into a top division one um institution and so um we're very much uh committed to making sure that these guys are getting the academic side of things because we want them to go to the best schools uh we have a young man in union two who's going to princeton in the fall we've got guys going to the big 10 and the acc and 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 some top uh um ivy and and, and top power five type uh schools and so um the idea is is that you know even though our our push here is to develop players for the first team um we also hold high value to the college system and, and universities and wanting to make sure that our care for these guys goes far beyond whether they make it as a pro or not. Yeah. One of, one of my questions was that I want to ask you about, like describe the environment for a young player in terms of development, but that sounds like that's the, almost the academic and the character development are, are very much at the forefront of what you guys are doing. Yeah. Very holistic. Um, a head of school that communicates with me on a weekly basis, a sporting director and an academy director who communicate with me on a daily basis. Um, I'd say probably the one piece that's, and I wouldn't even call it a missing piece, but the, the parents, especially when they get to us, um, aren't quite as, as involved in terms of um, the communication standpoint, because at, at our level it is pretty much about the football. Um, and so we try and eliminate that side of things, but um Everything else is is connected on, on a regular basis. Um, 
all the way into, you know, Jim, Jim and our first team and our, and our director of high performance and our first team and making sure that all the bases are covered and our director of high performance for our first team actually does high performance and is in charge of everything from the first team, second team, all the way through the academy. So whether it's sports psychology or nutrition or medical, um, all the way through that, that's led by our first team director of high performance. So then how do you balance development with the pressure, um, putting the two of them aside, like saying, like, all right, we're, we're trying to get this player to this point, but then we're also trying to, to beat NYFC um, and be consistent in doing that there. How, how do you go about navigate through that? Winning is an important part of teaching guys to be pros, right? Um, however, winning doesn't trump our, our process. And um, our process is about the development side of things. And it's number one. And it's my number one mandate. It's, it's not for me to put 11 guys on the field that are going to win the game. It's for me to put guys in the best position for them to develop. And I think a lot of ways the winning will take care of itself um, if we focus on the development side of things. So um, we will teach them more about what it means to be a pro in the environment of having to, to maybe grind out a result, but grind it out in the way that we want to grind it out. Um, we're not going to go and take a player that, you know, is, is, is a nine and we want to develop him as a nine and stick him at center back just to get a result at the game. Um, and, and again, it's, it's one of the most rewarding things for me is, is, is being able to have these guys focus on their process as an individual. Um, me focus on the process of bring, bringing all those individuals into a team format. And, and when the results come, they come. And when they come, they're even more rewarding, to be quite honest with you, um, because we do it with such a young, young group and, and a learning group. And um, we did beat NYCFC that day, by the way, when they had about 25 million on the field. Um, <laughs> that that's what makes it rewarding you know when you go and you, you get a result when you you've got 30 plus million i mean a bear was like uh like their i think comeback player of the year or something like that i can't remember what he what he he's, he's a multi-million dollar center forward you know um tavon gray's they're starting right back and and and, and playing there so we we've got this process where we understand that you know it's we're up against bigger budgets we're up against teams that are built to win um, but our process is about the individual and bringing the individual to the forefront. And so um, I enjoy that. I, I think we want to win and we play to win. And that's part of our, our fiber in the development process. But, um, the, and these kids know that, but at the end of the day, my, my mandate is to develop players for the first team. Um, and, and that's what we'll continue to do. I know a question I want to ask you was about the differences in like, I get a college road trip where it's so structured. And that was, that was the biggest thing for moving from a college environment for me to a senior environment was the amount of downtime the players had. And I look back, I was like, yeah, but you're just, you just having to keep an eye on them constantly in college study halls and times yeah. you took a trip. I think it was before Christmas or maybe even just after to South America. And I saw that you you tweeted that the fire alarm went off in the middle of the night. And how do you how do you kind of plan those trips, and and how much space do you give the players? Yeah, uh, we try and treat them like pros. Um, now it's a little bit different when you've got a fifteen and sixteen year old minor that you're trying to treat like a pro, and 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 so we we do end up um, you know making sure that there's some checks and balances in place when when that when they want to go to the beach when we're you know in Colombia or something like that. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I would say that the the time off is very, very different from what it was in, in, in the college game, especially if you were you know, traveling during the week versus on the weekend, right? Like then it's a, it's a whole, um, they're not really quite dedicated completely and fully to just the match, are they, when they're in the college game because they're potentially needing to prepare for a test or an exam or everything else. But um, our, you know, when we go on a trip, we, we are pretty structured in terms of, you know, we'll have a meeting at this time or we'll, we'll have a um, opposition analysis at this time and those kind of things and meals. However, there is a lot of time for them to to, to do their own thing and, and to, um, you know, have that individual time on their own or, or with their friends to kind of be pros and, and, and take more responsibility over themselves versus us having to schedule everything um, for them. So, um, like I said, it's different when, when they're, when they're as young as some of, of, of our kids are. Um, however, I think uh, it's one of those things I probably don't have to worry about quite as much anymore. Um, you know, I, I'm the coach of the team and, um, I, at the end of the day, I, I am still in charge, but there are other people and other kind of things in place that, that help make that side of things a, lot, a little bit more easier as well. God, I used to come back from away trips in college, exhausted from the anxiety <laughs> of planning, you know, and uh, now when you've got kids, I, I actually enjoy getting away because it's like, uh, you know, adults. Yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly what you're saying. There's the stress of of being on the bus and staying awake and making sure that, you know, everything's gone okay and, and meals and all those other kind of things being on time. Yeah. That's a stress that I don't have to worry about anymore, which is nice. Um, but it's still somebody else's stress. <laughs> one, one of the things that, again, uh, looking at the different dynamics, college and the, and the stability that you had in college with high standards, uh, I'm imagining the, the programs that I've seen that have had that success, there's a certain amount of uh, the coaches, everyone aligned to uh, culture, like everyone's kind of staff, everyone's together and it almost manages itself somewhat. You can almost step back as a freshman and wait to, you know, or can build that relationship during, because you know, you've got them four years, but at your level now, you know, success is, is going to be, some of these players are going to be bouncing in and out and, how do you and how have you changed in your building relationships and through that there? Yeah, that's that's a great one. I'd even throw coaching staff into that um, volatility, right, of of coming and going as well. I think I'd always told myself that I never wanted to be a professional coach because of the lack of stability on the pro side of things. And for many many years, I said I had no interest in it. Um, and it, it's funny there there is there are so many changes that occur on a weekly basis. You know, uh, we're going to bring a U17 player up or um, we're going to send somebody else down or um, the first team's going to pull a player or two from us and they might send a player or two down. Um, guys may, you know, realize they're not going to get signed here and go somewhere else. Um, and then the same with staff members who are always, you know, looking at the next opportunity to move up, uh, move up. Yeah. It's, it's, it's probably, um, it's a big, big change. I think that like anything, much like players playing in, in big environments against big players, like you get used to it after a while. Um, I think the relationship side of things still sticks. Like everything is, everything in football is based around relationships first. It's, it's I think it's trust and relationships and, and everything else will fall into place. Um, and you still have to commit to building those relationships, whether a player's with you for six months uh, or two weeks on a trial. Um, 
you still have to commit to it. And, and the same with the staff member, you still have to commit to it. Um, perhaps they don't last for four years, you know, it, it might be significantly shorter, but in order for the development project to continue, the relationship has to come first. And, and um, perhaps if it were just about winning, uh, it might feel a little bit different because you, you might bring in a player that's going to help you, you know, at the transfer window, get you over the edge and, and, and keep you up on the table or help you get into the playoffs or whatever it may be. But I think if it's going to be about development, every single person that comes into your environment has to feel like there's a relationship uh, foundation that's there first. And so um, I, I don't think it's changed necessarily um, a whole lot outside of the fact that we have to build those relationships maybe a little bit quicker in order to see results versus knowing you've got four or five years with a, a kid who comes in as a freshman and knows they've got time to kind of, um, you know, find their way into your group or into your team. Um, in this case, it's um, it's about building those relationships as quick as possible to, to help that development process go as quick as possible too. Yeah, Bernard, I, I find it really interesting that, you know, that people do say, well, there's, you know, the college a college coach is used to shorter season and you've got the subbing and all these limitations. But I found that what college does and what it done for me was it the relationship's a big piece and also managing up and down and across. It, it really, it, you can't not do that in college, right? Like you've got to manage ADs, you've got to manage academic advisors. Yeah, we refer to that as managing upwards, right? Like it's 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 getting buy-in from above, below, left and right of you. Um, and college, I think, allows you to do that. And in some colleges, maybe more so than others, because they've got to do everything, some coaches, in the college environment. Um, and, you know, and sometimes when you're, maybe if you're at a bigger school, it prepares you a little bit more for a bigger operation in the pro, in the pro side of things as well. But managing upwards is just as important as managing your own players and, and um there's there's no doubt that what you just said in terms of just those relationships it, it goes across the board and the college the college side of things certainly prepared me from a management standpoint because you wear so many different hats and and now i'm sitting here telling you i get to wear the coach's hat more than anything um and maybe on the college side the coach's hat was the you know the last hat i got to put on um because of how much managing you have to do in the college environment you had, a, you had a great quote uh, you said in an interview that I was reading, coaches have humble beginnings, packing bags, doing laundry, driving long distances, building programs. A lot of that what you're talking about just there. And I wanted to go back to your initial experiences at Penn State and doing all that there. I mean, how did that, how did that help you and how did that build certain profiles of how you coach, I suppose? I think I'm probably aging myself out by saying that now, right? Um, I think a lot of young coaches don't have to do those things anymore. Um, yeah, when I first started coaching, I think I made like 12 or 19, somewhere between 12, I can't remember, $12,000 for the year or $19,000 for the year. Um, didn't have benefits, um, you know, took the pennies home to wash the pennies, um, you know, uh, pump the balls up myself because we didn't have an equipment manager, all those little, little tiny details that um, used to talk about like young players in Europe, having to clean the boots of the senior players. Right. And, and those things don't exist anymore. And so when I say you have humble beginnings, like you know, there's, there's nothing that you're not prepared to do as a coach that shit in terms of teaching or spending the time or committing the effort that 
you didn't have to do before when you were washing laundry and pumping balls up. So there, there was nothing that's beneath you that you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't be willing to do because we have those humble beginnings where we started from nothing and you kind of end up in a good spot. And so um, I think when it comes to, to, to me as a coach now, I, if, to ask me to go and spend an extra 30 minutes on the field with the player who just wants to work on, you know, shaping right footed shots in the lower corner, that's nothing compared to some of the other things that we've had to do or, um, you know, to, to ask me to sit on the bus for four and a half hours to go to a game uh, versus getting on a, on a private plane. Like the, those, those humble beginnings, I think have helped structured me into the work ethic. Um, I think a lot of uh, today's coaches don't know. It's not that they don't have great work ethics. I think these coaches are so much smarter in terms of their starting points than we were as, as coaches, but it was just different. And um, the grinding that we had to do as young coaches, I think has allowed me to see challenges in a different way than maybe a coach today does. That's, that's kind of getting started. Um, you know, um, it's, it's, we didn't have match analysis software or, or Speedio or uh, coach paint or all these things that these young coaches uh, have today. We had a VCR and we were around to the point where we, after we watched the entire game over for the second or third time and wrote down <laughs> the time on the VCR, it was um, to, to show a clip that we wanted to, to do. So um, I think being, being willing to still do some of that grunt work, um, you know, even even today in, in a pro environment where I'll pick up the cones after training while my my equipment guys walk on the other side, grabbing all the balls, I'll st still willing to grab and collect the pennies. I think, um, you know, your players getting to see you do those kind of things and and, you know, what you're willing to, to do things that you're willing to ask your players to do, um, I think sends a, an appropriate message to the group and to your staff and to everyone within your organization that you're not above any any menial task. Mm. It's I, I've I've wondered this for a while, just with like we're now. I don't know if it's a new. Again, I'm getting older, so it's just I'm I'm probably experiencing or seeing a new group of new age of coaches coming through. And similar to what you said there, I do believe like their the tactical IQ and the ability to operate tech that can help you communicate is at a really really high level. I wonder if the person like the personality of the coach used to be a really big. And, you, and it still is at the highest level today. Um, you know, you, you work for Barry Gorman, like uh, people like that had so much, they were so vibrant. But I wonder today if a coach spends seven hours a day or eight hours a day in front of a laptop or an iPad, that's going to diminish some of that, right? Yeah, I think I think what I've learned over the years is that coaching and managing are two separate things. And the best managers can coach and the best coaches can manage and, and kind of find that great blend. Um, I think when you get stuck and become a, a you know, a keyboard warrior mm -hmm. in terms of statistics and analysis, but you don't know how to apply it and in a way that it's going to actually teach and be effective, then you're missing that difference between coaching and managing. Um, and the, the management side is getting the kids to buy into what it is that you've gone and identified and something that you want to do from a coaching perspective. Um, and so to, there, there's a difference between the two, but the best, the best ones seem to be able to pull it together. And like, you see like a, a Jurgen Klopp who bring them, we had, we actually had him in Thomas Gronemark, a, a throw-in specialist in, because they saw from a coaching perspective that throw-ins were a deficiency in what they were doing at Liverpool. So they bring in a throw-in specialist, but the management that Klopp has to, to, 
to get the players to buy into what the throwing specialist is doing. Um, you know, that's what I think separates him. That makes him, makes him not just a coach and not just a manager, but a little bit of a, the best blend of both. And, you know, people always talk about Fergie being that guy too. Um, and knowing how to spur a player on and to, to, to invigorate and inspire a player and get the most out of a player. Um, you know, Klopp is like a modern day in those ways. And I'm an Arsenal fan, so it pains me to say this, by the way. Um, but just taking some of that analysis and, 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 and you know, the, that keyboard warrior mentality and building it into a team and getting the players to buy into it, that's, that's the special part. Mm. Yeah, it's the human part. Yeah. Mm. Brilliant. There's been a lot of talk about in recent weeks. We actually did a podcast on it two weeks ago with Candice Fabry about the commitment and the profession and burnout and impact it has on family life and i read that you had spent the last six months of your college coaching career away from your wife and your family and i wondered you know how difficult that was is that something that you you've worked through is it something that's still a that's still in work in progress or how have you navigated through this world of burnout and coaching yeah that was a difficult and it was it was really last year and a half to, you know, 18 months that I was at West Virginia. Um, it started off with um, my wife and my son. Um, my son, I was originally with the, with the crew Academy. Um, and we were driving three and a half hours each way to Columbus to get him to get him out there. Um, but that was at the time where the crew were looking at moving down to Austin. Um, and they'd cut the funding on the younger teams and, out there and we're only operating with their two oldest teams. So um, we had spoken to my son who at the time was 11 about you know, coming back to Morgantown and playing. And I think he was a little bit disappointed um, because we just didn't have a whole lot that we could offer him um, in West Virginia for, for his development. And so um, we had brought him out to Philadelphia and the union loved him. And, and that's what kind of um, pre premeditated our, our, our move and, and this transition to, to the union. But um, for a year, my wife would drive him four and a half hours. They would leave on a Friday. Um, he'd play a game on the weekend. Then he would get back about on Wednesday morning at like midnight. Uh, and then he would go to school for, you know, for two and a half days and repeat. And so for a full year, they did that. Um, and that got old pretty quick, obviously, um, for, for them. And so when we got to year two of him being full-time with the Union Academy, um, they moved out and, and, they, we sold our house in the summer heading into my last year at West Virginia. And so this time my wife, my daughter and my son um, all moved uh, to the Philadelphia area while I was living in a hotel in, uh, in Morgantown uh, for the last six months. And it did. It got old. It got old really quick uh, going on the road and staying in a hotel for two nights and coming back and going into a hotel where I lived. You know, uh, it's funny the last couple of years while they were gone were two trophy winning years for us. So <laughs> maybe, maybe you can correlate some success uh, with, with, with that kind of process. But, um, but yeah, it kind of stunk coming home with the trophy and, and there being nobody there to celebrate it with, you know, from me, from your family. Um, so that did get old. The, the FaceTiming got old. Um, you know, the, the microwavable meals got old, um, not seeing them got old. And to the point where it was it wasn't necessarily burnout. It was more along the lines of like, I do this for them, you know, like I work my socks off for them, um, but they're not here to enjoy it. And, and because they weren't there to enjoy it, I wasn't enjoying it very much. 
um, either, despite all the success that we were having. Um, and so, yeah, there's that, that family, you know, professional balance, um, that you need. And perhaps if I never didn't have a family, I wouldn't necessarily feel that way. Um, but it got to the point there where I was missing them more than I was enjoying my football. Um, and it, it made it a very easy decision, you know, after, and with, with my wife and my son being on the road literally every week, uh, I missed 70 something days of school. Um, during that calendar year, we, we, we'd made up our mind that this was what we were going to do heading into my last year at West Virginia. Um, and I think, uh, when I came out here to, to Philadelphia, the first thing I did was join him for two and a half weeks in Brazil and just, you know, got to be a dad for a while. And, um, luckily enough, uh, an opportunity opened itself up with the union for, for me to be able to, to join the coaching staff here. I like to joke with people and say that my 11 year old got me a job with the Philadelphia union organization. They must really like them. Um, but, uh, no, it's, it's far more fulfilling when there's people around you to enjoy it with. That's for sure. Fantastic. How do you balance the coach and the father? Like how do you navigate through that one? Yeah, I think, uh, I'd say it, it's gotten better every year that he's gotten older. Um, I think, um, you know, it's at the end of the day, I'm still his dad. And if it's a tough message, um, it was harder for him to take when he was younger. Um, but what, what he's learned and what I've learned is that there's that coach time. If you were to ask my son who his coach is, you would say, my dad's my coach. Um, but as he's gotten older, he's learned and I've learned to separate the two. You know, I, I'm also the union two coach here. So at some stage, I might have to either select him or tell him he's not going to play for me. Um, but I think we, we do it as soon as possible after a training session or after a match that I get to see. Um, we spend very little time outside of like maybe, you know, five minutes and two or three clips. Um, but he's now seen the benefit side of things. He's 13 going on 14. And he now knows that he has something that most kids don't have at his age, which is an extra eye helping him and telling him um, what's going on. And the union does a great job of this on their own, but um, I can pr pretty much do, do it every day for him. Um, and so as he's gotten older, he's learned to separate the two and realizes that there's the soccer side of things that, you know, he really wants this. And, and again, he predicated this move. This is, this was about him. Um, and what, what I've told him is that we're doing this. All I ask for you is to give it your best. And if you do your best and you fail, so be it. Um, and, and that's been the commitment that he's made to it is that he's put his everything into to being the best footballer he can when it comes to the soccer side of things. He, he wants the feedback to help him kind of get there. Um, and if he makes it, fantastic. If he doesn't, as long as he's, he can look himself in the mirror and say that I gave it everything I've got, then we're satisfied with that as a family as well. Fantastic. Rewind like... 10 years ago like what, what was it like what were you like when he was just taking the sport up and going after it like were you about stand back were you on top of it or how did that work through to get him to that level well my wife was his first soccer coach um, <laughs> her. yeah and it's funny i i remember him okay first when he first started being able to walk and kick a ball and i remember kicking him whenever he would kind of try and dribble and just knocking him down and I remember my wife getting really upset about it and we'd just be in the living room. And, and I say, trust me, like I'm teaching him now, trust me. <laughs> um, and, you know, 
at the time I was thinking um, I would still be in West Virginia whenever he was old enough to really recognize him. I said, there's going to be kids. Someday I was going to say, oh, you're, you're only uh, who you are because your dad's a coach at West Virginia or, you know, your, your dad seems crap and look, they lost again and they're going to use it against you. And I think 10 years ago, I just tried to toughen him up. You know, I tried to make him make him understand that, you know, some the mental side of things, the physical side of things, like you can just let that roll off your shoulders and not let it affect you. And I think a lot of young players um, are affected by it. And I think a lot of his success now is he's, he, he plays a year up. Um, he's the smallest kid on the field. He's a late physical developer. He's only like 85% of his, of his maturation and his, his PHV isn't going to be until he's like 15 years old and he's not even 14. So he's the smallest kid on the field playing U15. Um, but if you watched him play, you would see a fearless player. Um, and I think a lot of that just has to do with just really just kind of, you know, pushing the boundaries of, of what was okay without it being considered child abuse. Um, but, you know, to this day, like if we're playing ping pong, I, I won't let him win. Um, if we go out in the yard and, and we're, we're playing one versus one, I just won't let him win. Like I'm going to make him beat me because I, I don't want to, I don't want to sound disparaging, but there's the, the, I think the mentality and we were alluded to this before is probably the biggest thing now, you know, like all these kids are as good as they, each other. They're all as fast as each other. Um, they're more, they're all as athletic as each other. There's very little that separates the top guys anymore outside of the mental side. And um, he's super mentally tough. And I think just exposing him to that side of things versus always telling him it's okay, you know, and, and, and feeling like I needed to put a medal around his, his, his over his head just because he finished third place. Like, you know, I think that's what separates him a little bit from, from that side of things. And those are one, that's one of the things I tried to do when he was younger was just show him that it's not a big deal to be in a pressure situation, not a big deal to get kicked, like get up and keep going, get up and keep fighting. And um, yeah, I think it, it shows now watching him play today. Yeah, I so saw you put up a couple of few clips there during the week, and he's got he's got a lovely step over. This, I think the where he comes in on the goes right, it goes left, smacks it in the top corner. Yeah, he is exposed a lot. I mean, he's done. He, that was probably one of the greatest things too. Is when he when he was old enough to be able to technically keep up, I would throw him in training with with my college teams, and so um, I always said to him, when you go in there, weight the ball properly don't if you're eight years old and you're playing with a 24 year old you can't hit the ball like an eight year old you have to hit it like a 24 year old and so he got technically very good very early um and understood how important the weight of the pass or the shape of the pass was at a young age um and so throwing him into that environment where he has to play one and two touch in a in a you know in in, in a college environment i think helped helped him adapt to the technical side of things now that he's gotten a little bit older i bet you got him like a million dollars worth of free camps as well during his during his lifetime yeah oh yeah yeah camps uh footwear he was well taken care of coming through the college system <laughs> magic, magic how's how is uh you know having a younger son uh at the age not a, not at the age range but a, a approaching the age range of kids you're coaching and millennials and this new generation how has that helped you yeah i think um it's helped me certainly stay involved in what's going on today with how these guys communicate with each other. Um, I'll go in my son's room at night and he'll be on Xbox with four or five of his teammates 
and on FaceTime, but the phone actually faces the ceiling. They just have the phone on to talk to each other because they don't all want to wear headphones. And then I look at his phone on FaceTime and they all have the phones facing the ceiling. It's not actually looking at each other, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, and you know, seeing what they do on Instagram and, 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 and all these other things, I think at least has me kind of dialed into the way that they communicate with each other. Um, and I know today we talk about how devices has kind of ruined relationships and, um, you know, maybe some of this, the, we talk keyboard warriors, right? We talk about the, the analytics and now the, the management side of things, I think even with the kids and, and how to socially interact. But at the end of the day, it is how they socially interact. That's the way they do it. And so um, being able to understand that helps me probably a little bit better have a conversation with the kid. Um, I think I'm more on the lines of when I interact with my guys, a sarcasm uh, and joking off the field and, you know, give them a hug when I see them for the first time of the day and kind of set the tone for the rest of the day. But um, it's probably helped me just refine the way I look at relationships with young players um, and, and knowing with that my own son, um, this is how he talks with, with these guys, um, allows me to maybe better understand their culture and, and kind of how they're growing up right now. And because I can understand how they're growing up and, and the pressures and, and what they see, um, you know, on their social media, I think allows me to at least know how to communicate with them at worst case. Um, do I know it? hundred percent. No, are there probably tons of things that, you know, are, are going on that, that, that I'm unaware of? Yes. Um, <clears throat> but I, I used to have a thought process that, um, and, and Barry used to say this all the time. It's, you know, it's easier for the 25 of you guys to change for me than it is for me to change for 25 different people. I think it's flipped, you know, it's flipped completely. I have to be 25 different people for 25 different personalities. And, um, that's just the modern young player now. Like you gotta, you, you can't, you can't treat them all equally. You can treat them all fairly. Uh, I think that's number one. But they're they're different kids that have different needs, and and we have to adapt a little bit more for them than they need to adapt for us in this time and age. Gross, mm, fascinating. I wonder where we're going to be in ten years. What what do you think? Like what what do you think is going to be the biggest change? Is it, do you think communication is going to be lessened? Do you think confrontation lessened or? What do you think is going to be the biggest change to coaches that they're going to experience? No, I think in, in 10 years, uh, gosh, looking into the future, I mean, I think football will still be football, right? And um, everyone's always looking for the next best way to do things. Um, I don't think that'll change. Um, I think as it comes to communication, um, it's probably more on the coach's generation to continually find a way to adapt to the way the kids are communicating. Um, there's less and less talk on the field and more and more talk in the locker room. I know a lot of coaches don't want to leave the locker room to their players and don't want to get in there. And I'm one of those guys that doesn't like to go in the locker room because I want them to have that to be themselves, but we have to create a new locker room. And I think that new locker room is more individual based. It's more sitting down and having a cup of coffee or, um, you know, we have a house here. Um, it might, it might mean that I need to go have dinner with the eight to 10 kids that live in the house, um, you know, once a month, uh, I think that communication side of things just has to be more individual and personal in order to continue to dive into these relationships. Cause if it's left to just being on the field in 10 years, I think that'll be gone. Um, and 
it, it's just going to have to be more along the lines of um, just some discrete time, whether it's 60 seconds carved out of just asking them how things are going at home. Um, or it's like I said, a formal kind of like sit down where you go out to dinner, you go have a, a cup of coffee with an older player. I think we just have to find new creative ways to, to still have that personal connection that doesn't require a device in between. Um, but more and more that we do from a soccer, we, we share more stuff uh, via different apps and, and, and different things uh, with scheduling. Um, we just have to find a way to personally connect if we're going to get the best out of them. And at the end of the day, that's, again, it goes back to the development process versus winning. We might be able to win sticking the 11 best players on the field on a given day, but we're not going to be able to develop that way. Um, and so right now, even like we've had six players graduate to our first team since I've been here with the second team. And I've got a great relationship with the, the six first team guys still, you know, some of them will come down and play for me from time to time, but um you know, I might send them a, a message over Instagram saying, you know, how you doing, what's going on, and just trying to keep keep them engaged in, in that personal side of things. Um, and when I see them for 18 days in Florida, you, you wouldn't think that they weren't playing for me anymore, that they were first-team guys. They're still first-team guys who um, showed up and sat on the sideline during the second-team game when we played on on the first night. And um, I think that's where you, when you know the relationships are working pretty well, too. Brilliant. Um, last one, we'll finish. Almost flip it now. What what is a young coach who aspires to get to the pro, the top college? You know, like what 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 pieces of advice would you give them over the next five to ten years? Yeah, I think you're seeing like more young coaches coming and being specialists, right? Um, we talked about set piece coaches, we had talked about a throwing coach. I think you're seeing more attacking coaches, defending coaches, all these all areas. Um, one of the things that I think I've learned the most since being here is, um, and in particular, and I'll tell you, I'm a better coach today than I was yesterday and a better coach than what I was a year ago, um, is, is the learning process and I've never stopped learning. And one of the things that I think I've learned to do every single day now when I coach is coaching the counter principles as well. And I think there we get fixated on wanting to do this attacking exercise and we completely ignore the counter principles that go along with it and maybe that even the transitionary moments and transitions becoming such a big part of modern football um, and how goals are scored um, and so there's always one coach focusing on one side of the ball another coach focusing on the other side of the ball and as assistant i think it's easy to get caught up in wanting to take on the main theme but there's so many important things that are on the opposite side of things that are teachable moments and a better way to efficiently, efficiently use those teachable moments. And um, so I would say that when it comes to just the practical side of things um, on the flip side of things in the coaching education is like I just alluded to that. I feel like I've learned a lot more um, over the last number of, of years since kind of getting out of my own comfort zone in my own environment. Um, yeah, I think the, the coaching education side of things is important and being willing enough to admit that you don't know everything. Uh, there are coaches out there have forgotten more than I'll ever know. And, and it's picking the brains of some of some of those kind of coaches. Um, you know, I'm currently on, on my uh, Federation pro license um, with U S soccer at the moment. Um, and, and that's a learning experience in itself. Um, and I would encourage all these young coaches that, that, that have their A's or their UEFA pros and everything else to understand that, that, that in itself is, is just one piece of it and and you have to continue to develop and evolve and for me it was i went from this 
coaching philosophy that was all about having the ball and connecting as many passes and 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 and, and wanting to always to be on the attack to um, coming into this system and and now learning so much more about the transition side of, of, of football and focusing on what to do in transition and, and how to exploit opponents in transition moments um, and, and how to handle transitions that um, I, th I think being willing to understand that we don't know it all as a young coach and that there's still so much more for us to learn, even when you're as old as, as we are, um, that there's still so much for, that's out there uh, for us to learn that um, I think uh, the most the most growth happens in those those humble moments um, and not just in, you know, your, your daily wins or losses. So, um, you know, I, I get on Twitter and I, I look at other coaches sessions and 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 try to, you know, hear what other coaches have to say and watching interviews and, and, and not just not just the highlights in the match and kind of forming my own opinion, but trying to do some investigation in in terms of what's actually going on and, and, and how other people are operating. I think I think uh, you find different little tools and different ways to do things, but because you're you're willing to hear other people out. Brilliant. Marlon, what a way to finish. Top class. We've gone way over. I uh, don't care. Absolutely. <laughs> I enjoyed it, Gary. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.